My sisters and brothers, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At the sight of the crowds, Jesus' heart was moved with pity for them. Because they were troubled and abandoned, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Then he summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure, and to cure every disease and every illness. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon from Cana and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus sent out these 12 after instructing them. Do not go into pagan territory or enter a Samaritan town. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, make this proclamation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. Without cost you have received, without cost you are to give. The gospel of the Lord, praise you. Imagine yourself for a moment standing next to Jesus as he looks out at the crowd, a crowd that moves him to the depths of his soul with pity, compassion, and love. But look at the crowd. Who are they? What do you see? I think we can infer from the reading that these are not pretty people. They are, as Jesus says, lost and abandoned. They are the poor, the sick, and those they called sinners. They're not well-established. They're not influential. One might look at this crowd and see that there's not a whole lot of potential there. They have been beaten up by life. And life is winning. And they're losing. It's not an attractive picture. And yet, as Jesus looks at them, his heart is moved with pity and compassion. How about our hearts? As we look at this crowd, do we find ourselves moved with pity and compassion? Or is it far easier, trained as we are, to look with judgment? Maybe pity in the worst sense of the word. 
Maybe we even get moved to the point of saying, oh, these poor people, thank God I'm not one of them. What do we see? And now fast forward from that day in the first century to today. And once again, stand with Jesus as he looks out at the crowd that is the human race. Because he's not looking at the crowds that come to churches. Oh yeah, they're included. But he's looking at so many more. Maybe those same characteristics apply, the poor, the really poor, the sick, the deformed, the disabled, and those who are judged by the rest of us as sinners, as incomplete, as inadequate, as so far from perfect, it's not funny. His heart is moved with pity and compassion. How about our hearts? Or as we look at, out at the crowd that is the human race today, how easy is it for us to not be moved with pity and compassion, but instead to use our human eyes of judgment and see everything that is wrong with them? All the ways that they don't measure up, all the ways that their predicament is their own fault, all the ways in which, thank goodness, we're not one of them. And now shift your position just a little bit and be in the crowd and have Jesus look at you along with all the others in the human race with pity and compassion. And yes, while it might be nice to have his eyes upon us, he's not seeing necessarily those things that we want him to see. He's not seeing all of our good works and all of our accomplishments, all of the ways that we have made something of ourselves. He's looking at the parts of us that are just like the rest of the crowd. All the ways in which we are lost. All the ways in which we are abandoned. Despite the appearances we may make that we have found our way. That we have a place. That we matter because we have made ourselves matter. He's going to look out at the crowd that we're now part of and not see that we don't belong there. And his heart will be moved with pity and compassion for us as much as his heart is moved with pity and compassion for everyone else in the crowd. I think in either position, whether we were standing with Jesus looking out at the crowd or in the crowd, having Jesus look at us. Neither place is a place we want to be. 
Who wants to look out at this mob of people who are so broken? Who are so hungry? Who are so lost? Who are abandoned because they've run away? Who wants to look at that? How easy it is to shut our eyes to it. To pretend that the crowd isn't really there, but only those that we want to see are there. And only those that we might want to feel compassion for, because we actually know them. But this is a crowd filled with strangers. And it's so easy, I think, to stand there with Jesus and say, I think I'll just stay here with you. I don't want to go into that crowd. And yet, if we put ourselves in the crowd, it's still not an easy place to be. Who wants to be counted among the lost and the abandoned? The poor, the sick, the sinners. Who wants to be lost in an anonymous sea of misery? That is the human race. Who wants to be part of that? And maybe we find ourselves in the crowd not really willing to stay, but wanting to get out of it, to separate ourselves from it, to prove that we don't belong to be part of this pathetic crowd, to convince ourselves that we're better than this. And yet if we look up at Jesus, his eyes look at us with the same pity and compassion as his eyes look at everyone around us. Maybe especially those that we wish weren't anywhere near us, who we work so hard to keep at a distance. In the first reading we hear in the book of Exodus, one stop on the journey from slavery to freedom. It's really the first stop. God has done his amazing work of hearing the cries of the oppressed Israelites under the oppression of the most powerful nation in the world that has enslaved them, made them work for them, told them that they had no existence apart from them. And God has rescued them with mighty acts of power. He set them free through plagues, opened the sea, drowned the Egyptian army, led them through the sea onto dry land. And now they are free. And they gather at Mount Sinai. And God looks at this crowd and it like all the crowds we're talking about today is not a pretty picture. These are people who know nothing of freedom. They've only been slaves for generations and generations and generations. They know nothing of what it means to be dignified, to be respected. They have been subjected to all kinds of harshness in order to keep them from being who they are. And God looks at this crowd and says these extraordinary, this extraordinary thing. 
you are mine. My chosen ones. The dearest to me. Although all the earth is mine. You are to be a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. He tells them who they are. But they don't look it. I wonder how those words struck them. Because it did take them another generation to actually learn what it meant. Through lots of rebellions. And desire to go back into slavery. But God looked at this crowd of released slaves who had no power, no dignity, no standing in the world. The smallest of all, the most significant of all people. And told them who they are. A holy nation. God's special possession. It's the same crowd that gathered before Jesus. A couple thousand years later, but the same crowd. And Jesus looks at them with the same pity and compassion that God looked at the Israelites and sees that, yes, they are lost and abandoned, but they are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, sacred and special to the one who created them. And we're in that crowd. We may not want to be in the crowd because we don't want to feel lost and abandoned. But if you separate yourself from that crowd, you separate our, we separate ourselves from who we are. God's special possession. A holy nation. A kingdom of priests. And we are that because we are in that crowd. And the only way we are that is by being part of the crowd. The only way we will hear those words is to know that we belong in that crowd and not separated from it. And as uncomfortable as it might be to see ourselves like everyone we know is lost and abandoned truly, unless we join ourselves with them, we stop being who we are. And while it may seem we rise above the crowd, by rising above the crowd and separating ourselves from it, we lose the most precious and dignified identity that we could possibly have. A holy people, God's special possession, a kingdom of priests, dearer to me than anyone on the face of the earth. To know ourselves as who we truly are, we just might need to know ourselves as part of a whole lot of crowds that we'd rather not be part of.